Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John, that you may believe, making much of Christ. The original date of this message was the 2nd of October, 2022. This morning, we are going to be digging in really to the beginning of the Gospel of John. What we saw before has just been a prologue, kind of just whetting our appetite. And what we get into today is, is going to be where John decided to start when it comes to the life of Jesus. And I'd like to start our time off this morning, each of us considering this. Who would you classify to be the greatest man of all time? Yeah, since this is a church, you guys know that generally the answers are Jesus are going to be pretty good. You throw that out. My kids do that all the time, even when Jesus isn't the answer. And he really has nothing to do with what my question was, but that's okay. If you turned in, and don't do this now, if you looked on the internet, you would see a myriad of different compilations of the top ten in history. And sometimes Jesus does make the top ten. Sometimes Michelangelo, and being the painter that he was, makes the top ten. Sometimes Isaac Newton, sometimes Napoleon, sometimes Socrates, sometimes Albert Einstein. But one person doesn't make the top ten at all. And I'm not sure that if you just thought what, of your top ten that he would be in your top ten either. And he's the one that John goes to first in order to encourage us that we might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. John calls him up really as the first witness. The first one to say, hey, here, you want proof that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God? Do you want proof that Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin? Well, here's your man. Here's the first one I'm going to point to you. It is, well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, so I can keep the suspense going in case you haven't figured out what the correct answer is. Jesus indeed is the greatest man ever. But Jesus had no human father, so my question was tailor-made to us, humanity, those born through natural means with a mom and a dad. And of all the people that we could see in all of biblical history, there's one man that stands out that Jesus says is the greatest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. This is so challenging, particularly for how he ends with what he says. These are the words of Jesus. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What we're going to see this morning is how you and I can make much of Christ. 
because that is what John the Baptist did. Now granted, he had the best job ever in the history of jobs. And, and I, I particularly like my job. I, I like preaching. I, I like being a pastor. No, I, I, it's more than like. I love it. But the coolest, the best job ever to, to be given to anyone would be this one. The forerunner. The front runner. The pointer of, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, hey, listen to me. The one coming after me, he's coming soon. He will change everything. That was John's job. That was his one task. That's what he did. And everything that he did, as we're going to see this morning, this morning, was all about making much of Christ. And as we look at his life, it is so challenging. Even in what Jesus says here, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How can we be like John the Baptist? We put ourselves lower and lower and put Christ higher and higher. So easy for me to articulate and say that to you standing here in in this pulpit in this church. Entirely different to live day in and day out. As though I am nothing and Christ is everything. And so whoever hangs out with me, that's what they get. That's what they see. That's what they hear. That's what my life looks like. That's what we're going to see this morning. As John starts off our time this morning pointing to Jesus Christ through an unconventional, not normal means. The reason why we, we, we don't tend to think of John the Baptist as being the greatest of all men is because he doesn't meet what our normal criteria is for a great man. We're going to see he, he's not too famous. In fact, we're not even given that much about him. He doesn't give us any backdrop. He doesn't respond to the questions that he's asked the way that I would respond to the questions. Why? Because he's singularly minded, singularly focused, much more than I am. And and my guess, much more than you are. And everything is a redirect, not to him, but to Christ. And as much as he can, he will always take whatever the question is and say, well, yeah, well, and point to the cross, point to Jesus Christ. Oh, to be able to live like that, to respond like that. And that's what we're going to see. So turn with me to to John chapter 1. And we must understand that as John is pinning these words and writing this out under the inspiration of Scripture, that the history of the nation of Israel at this time is kind of bleak. No, not kind of bleak. It is bleak. It's dark. It could be described as silent. 400 years of silence. No prophet has come on the scene to speak on behalf of God. That is significant. In that time, put this man, John the Baptist, front and center. And yet he's not like your normal man. Not at all. And we see this this morning. There are so many things for us to learn from John the Baptist. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 34 this morning. So let us read God's word together. Me out loud, you in your heart of hearts. 
following along. This is the word of God. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Implication, may you see, testify, and believe in the Son of God as well. Let me pray for our time that the Holy Spirit would go before us and be our teacher, our guide. Heavenly Father, we, we ask, we implore, we beg, we beseech you this morning that you would meet us here in this place. Through your word, through your spoken word, through the word that became flesh, that as we go through these passages, these verses, Lord, that you would make yourself also clear to us, that we would leave here with a better understanding of how to make much of you. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who does not know you, the only way they can make much of you is to know you as their Lord and Savior first. And so I I pray that you would open their eyes, their spiritual eyes, to hear the truth this morning of your life-giving message that is known as the gospel, the good news, as to why you came, Lord Jesus, lived a perfect life, and died upon the cross and bled for us. You taking our place. You bearing the wrath of God for the sins of men. That if we would believe in you, that we would have eternal life. Lord, I pray that that is the case this morning. That any and all that are listening, that they would believe unto you for salvation. 
that you would be honored and glorified now as your word is preached and proclaimed. And that you, Holy Spirit, would be the only teacher here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, what we're going to see in, in the way that I've given an outline in your notes is this, four ways that we can make much of Christ, following the example of John the Baptist, because that's what John the Baptist did over and over again was make much of Christ. And what we are going to see, even as we saw already in, in Matthew eleven eleven, is that what is so crucial for us to understand is that we must be humble. We must not have a high regard for ourselves, but we, in the complete opposite, must have a high regard for Christ and humble ourselves. And that is what we see first with the life of John the Baptist. And so you and I, you must humble yourself and lift Christ up. Look at verses 19 to 21. And what happens with John? As some Jews send to him some priests and Levites. That's not just any Jews. When it says, when the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem, those Jews, when, when John writes like that, he's speaking of the, the, leaders, the leaders of the nation of Israel, the Sanhedrin. Like the Supreme Court of our day. The, these were the highest officials. They called all the shots. And as it had been 400 years of silence with no prophet, all of a sudden John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he starts to get bigger and bigger, larger and larger, more and more crowds coming to him from all sorts of walks of life. Not just Jews, but Gentiles coming to him. Those that were in high positions, soldiers, from the greatest to the least, they're all flocking to John to hear him preach. And as he preaches, he preaches this baptism of repentance that the coming Savior is about here. And he's pointing everyone to him, letting them know that the kingdom of God is at hand. And what they must do is accept this coming Savior, the Christ, and if they would believe in him, then what they must do is show that belief by stepping forward in, in water baptism. Not that the water saves them at all. That's going to become clear. But it's he who he's pointing to that will save them. And so what happens as he's preaching this and baptizing so many people, they send two groups to him. The priests who work in the temple so they would be kind of like the spiritual elite. And the Levites, those would be like the soldiers. It's like the temple guard. So these that come to him are those that have a lot of authority. And so this is a big deal. And notice as they come to John, they just have one question for him. It's a simple question. And that question is what? Who are you? And yet they must not really mean who are you because in the way that he responds, he gives them a very short and simple but oh so significant answer. He says this, I am not the Christ. So really what they meant was, are you the Christ? That was what is implied. 
hey, we've heard about you. We've, some of us probably have even listened to you. We know that you're baptizing. We know that you're doing all these things and you're talking about the kingdom of God and what we want to know is, are you him? Are you the promised one? Are you the coming one? Please let us know. And John very emphatically reveals to us how John the Baptist responded with confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. He's making a confession while he's confessing. At the same time, while he is outright denying, no, I am not him. What's implied is, but I know who is. I am not him. Do you think that possibly John the Baptist could have answered in a, in a different way? Could it be that, that possibly John the Baptist could have thought instead of, well, you know what? Before I actually tell them I'm, I'm, I'm not him, I, I could let them know, well, you know who I am. You know about my father, Zechariah, and how, how he was in the temple and how the angel appeared to him. Hey, I, I'm not a man of a, of a normal kind of birth. My parents were well beyond the age of bearing children and it was a, an angel that came and promised to my dad. And then, and then he also said what I am going to do. I'm going to lead many that are astray from Israel back to the Lord. Hey, that's me. Hey, maybe you haven't heard, but, but one time I, I wasn't even born yet. And, and Mary, she's, she's related to us. She came to talk to my mom. And when she talked to my mom, you know what I did? I, I, I jumped around because I knew that baby that was in her was some, someone special. No, that, that's me. Where's any of that? No, what, what, what he is all about is pointing others to Christ. This is, in essence, what every good testimony should do. Not put whoever is sharing the testimony and giving the testimony to someone on, on, on the pedestal and hold them up high as to all that they used to do before Christ. So that then Christ is really small in their testimony and they're really huge. And instead, it should be flipped the other way. Christ should be huge and he should be everything and then our testimony should just fill in small little details that really point to the wonderful grace of God in saving us that we didn't deserve God to save us at all. That's what we see in, in John's life as he is depicted as giving his testimony right up from the start. He could have responded in so many different ways. Instead, he says, hey, no, I'm not the Christ. How would you respond to that question? If someone really asks you, no, really, I mean, who are you? What, what are you all about? What, what makes you get up in the morning? You say, oh, my kids. I, I'm, I'm a mama, and I love looking after my kids. Oh, I'm an engineer. I, I love doing this work. Oh, I, I'm a proud papa of three. I love pouring into my kids. Oh, I'm a business, business exec over here and I do this. And, and, and please, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. All of those things, they do matter. 
But what matters most is your identity in Christ. Who you are in Him. And whether you are His or you are not His. And so as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's really easy for us to think about this right here, right now. We just spent some time in communion, remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been singing songs. And so when I ask you, who are you? You no doubt go, I am a blood-bought believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that when I leave this life that I am going to heaven. Amen, amen, and amen. But what's it like Monday to Friday, we'll throw in Saturday on top of that. When you're outside of this, is Christ first and foremost in your thoughts? Even in the way you articulate and think about yourself and who you are, that you are His, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that that you are redeemed. That you are indeed a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you rejoice in that. I've been thinking a lot about John the Baptist all week long. Sitting in wonder of of the fact that Jesus calls him the greatest man. And yet on the flip side, I, I, I thought of some things that reveal that you know what? You and I actually have it better off than than John the Baptist in many regards. Do you know one? That cross that's represented behind me. Do you know when John the Baptist died? He, He died before Jesus Christ went to the cross. He didn't get the the privilege, the blessing of seeing Christ on the cross. And I understand we do it now through the eyes of faith, but the scripture is here and it is plain and clear to us. Brad read for us this morning what that looks like. We we know the vivid details. We know what our Savior did for us. John never saw that with his eyes. Two, we have this, the word of God in total. In the complete canon, Old Testament and New Testament, John didn't have that. And so we are blessed, equally blessed. Now while the Lord gave John this special job of being the forerunner for Christ, we've all been given that same job to be used by him to point others to him. And so we can rejoice in that. And then notice where they go next. As he tells them, okay, yes, yes, I'm not Christ, then they go to these two people. Well, then then are you Elijah or are you the prophet? The prophet's a more easy one to, to understand and grasp. It's been mentioned that Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, talks about, hey, after me, there's going to be a prophet like me. And the nation of Israel is waiting for this prophet. But you know who also they've been waiting for? And they're still waiting for him. Elijah. They believe that Elijah's going to come back. And do you know why they believe that? Because God's word says that he is. Elijah is going to come back. And we see that in scripture. We see that in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 to 6. But we see more than that. We see that yes, literally Elijah is going to come back. But we also see from scripture that Elijah's going to come back in persona or in 
the person of someone else in the same kind of power that Elijah came. That person happens to be John the Baptist. How do I know that? Because Jesus tells me. Matthew chapter 17. Turn there with me. Matthew 17, verse... Let's start at verse 10. And this is after the transfiguration. And remember, who was at the transfiguration? Elijah and Moses. You see, when Elijah comes back, he's, if he's going to come back, he's going to come back literally Elijah. That means he, he doesn't need to be born again. He returned to the Lord or went to the Lord in a flaming chariot of fire. And when he comes, he's just, I'm just assuming that he's going to be there. He doesn't need to go through the birthing process like John the Baptist did. And yet, look at what Jesus says about John the Baptist. And his disciples asked him, this is right after the transfiguration, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. Notice the tense, that's future. Not that he's come yet, he is coming. Elijah is going to come, and that's what we see in Malachi chapter 4. Last book in the Old Testament, letting us know that as Jesus, or the Savior, the Christ, comes and establishes his kingdom, one of the things that will happen is Elijah will come. But that's not all, because Jesus goes on. So Elijah is coming and will restore in the future all things, but I say to you that Elijah already came. And he's not talking about the first Elijah, because he doesn't say that. And they did not recognize him. Everybody knew who Elijah was when he came. Why? Because everybody wanted to kill him. Do you remember Ahab? So he's not talking about that literal Elijah. But to him, but did to him whatever they wished. And so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. He's speaking of the Jewish nation, the leaders in particular. And then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So John is correct in saying, okay, literally I am not Elijah. And yet he could have said, you know what, when the angel came, he actually said that that I was going to preach in the power of Elijah. And the Lord was going to use me like he used Elijah. But he didn't. Why? Because he's not about himself. He doesn't want things to get mixed up. He doesn't want things to get inverted, as we so often do. And the man becomes the one that everybody worships instead of the Lord. And so he's trying to make this extremely clear and understandable for them. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. And in this, he's showing us again just how humble he is. Have you ever met someone like that? Do you ever see someone like this in the news, in the area of sports, in the area of politics? You you name it. Even in the area of, of churches and pastors at times. What, what you hear oftentimes are, are their own accolades. Now, I built this church from ground zero up to this, that it's so huge now, right? Or you ask someone, oh, how did you get to this point in your whatever kind of professional athletic career? Oh, it was sweat and tears, and I dedicated myself for years and years and years, and now this is where I'm at. 
Sometimes they might think they're mom. But generally, everything is focused on them. Not so John the Baptist. Not so humble servants of the Lord that perhaps you have met. When you say, oh man, the Lord is doing so many neat things, what do they do? They don't direct it to themselves. They say, oh, praise the Lord. It's all because of him. And they're not doing it with false humility. So first, humble yourself and lift Christ up. Second, we see live to point others to Christ. This we see in, the, in 22 and 23 as they go on. So now they know he's, he's not Elijah. Now they know he's not the prophet. He's not the Christ. So then they, again, well, you still haven't given us enough of a good answer. They, then they said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? Hey, we're going to get in trouble if we go back to the Sanhedrin and tell them, hey, he's not this, he's not this, he's not this. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. That's Isaiah 40, verse 3. He knew exactly who he was. He knew that the scripture had actually prophesied about him. He knew exactly what role in history he was playing. That he was to be the front runner for the coming Messiah. That he was supposed to point everyone to him. And so his whole life is lived pointing others to Christ. And notice the words that he uses. It's significant. He doesn't say that I am the word. No, he says I am a voice. Not even the voice. He doesn't hold himself in such high regard that he says, man, I'm the only one. And anyone else is never going to come to Christ except through me. He says, are you kidding me? I'm just a voice. And it's all about the one whom I represent. And he is the word. And he is the epitome of all things. And all things now exist because of him. Which is where John went in the first 18 verses. You see, my word is nothing. But his word is everything. Through his word, he created everything. And John the Baptist is, is now saying, all I am is a voice giving out what has been given to me. I'm not the author. I didn't come up with the song. All I'm doing is singing it. And even how people respond to whether or not they like my song, it's not up to me. It's up to him because he goes before me. Isn't that encouraging? To know that it's not all about you. And so when you share Jesus Christ with someone, it's the power of the gospel that saves them. It's not your ability to, to articulate it so well. It's, it's not the strength of your mind and your, the strength of your arguments that somehow you can say something that nobody else has ever heard. And at that particular moment, it's going to be like a key going in, the, in, in, in a lock and boom, everything. Oh, yes, now I get it because you explained it so well. No, oftentimes when we're sharing Christ with someone, we're tongue-tied, we get mixed up. But do you know what happens? Oftentimes, instead, the Lord goes before us. Why? Because it's all about Him. It's not about us. It's not about our personality. It's not about our, our knowledge and depth of insight. But it's about the power of the gospel. And that's why we, we see so many struggling these days. Why? Because the gospel has been abandoned. And it's been traded. It's been traded for a false gospel that says, hey, you can do it yourself. You just need to have a little bit more faith or you just need to work at it a little bit harder. 
or it's been exchanged like on the mission field for a social gospel. Well, don't even say Jesus anymore. Instead, just give them water. Build wells for them, but don't tell them about who gives eternal life. No, how did John live? He lived in such a way that everything that he did was to point others to Christ. That he was a voice. And notice where that proper voice lived out in the right way, what it does, where it goes. It helps make the pathway straight to the Lord. Not getting in the way and leading people astray as so many folks are doing these days. So that's an added encouragement to us that we would continue to allow the Lord to use us as we share Christ with others, pointing them to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So first, humble yourself and lift up Christ. Second, live to point others to Christ. Third, share in his greatness and your weakness. That is what we see next in John chapter 1. As we see it in 24 to 7 and 30 to 34. We'll come back to 20 to 29. We'll wrap up with those. But they still haven't got the right answer that they want. So now they know he's a, he's a voice. He's the forerunner. He's pointing to the one that is coming. They know that he's talking about the Christ. But they still want more. Now they've been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him and said, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Hey, you don't have any authority if you're none of those guys, so stop baptizing is what they're implying. So why are you doing this? And notice John's response, he doesn't even respond correctly. He doesn't answer their question. He doesn't tell them about his authority. He doesn't tell them, God told me to do this. He doesn't tell them all of these things that I would tell them. Instead, he compares his baptism to Jesus. And he says, I'm nothing, he's everything. I, I can't do anything. I, I, what I'm doing is water that has a picture of something greater. But what Jesus does, or what the Savior will do, is he will change everything. Look at how... He responds, verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He says things in here that aren't true from a normal physical perspective. Why? Because John was born six months before Jesus. And so if he's speaking of Jesus' natural birth, you would say, no, you, he didn't come at that time. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. What is he saying? He's saying over and over and over again that Jesus is greater than he is. For the Jews during this time, it was the most lowest work on the totem pole as far as what servants would do was washing someone's feet. And oftentimes they wouldn't even let a, a Jewish servant do it. They'd, they'd save that task for one of their Gentile servants. And John is saying, man, he, he is so much greater than I am that I couldn't do the worst of all tasks that none of us would ever do. 
to him because that's how great he is. I wouldn't want to even touch his feet. And then look at what he says in 30. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Wait, how did he exist before you if he came after you in the normal birth, right? Because he is the word. Because he is the pre-existing one. Because he had no beginning and he has no end. And then look at this recollection of John, this acknowledgement. I did not recognize him. Oh, I'm the one proclaiming him. I'm the one pointing everybody to him. But there was a time where I didn't recognize him. I didn't get it. I didn't know who he was. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. My whole life was pointing others to him so that they would recognize I was nothing and that he was everything. Think about what he's saying. You imagine living your whole life knowing that you're basically always pointing to someone else that when they come, they're going to be, oh, okay, now we can just forget about what John said all that time because now we have the real thing. And yet, he kept giving glory and honor to the Lord over and over again. John testified saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him again, he says it. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So this entire encounter where these men sent from Jerusalem The priests and the Levites come to John the Baptist and are drilling him with these questions. Do you know when this happens? This doesn't happen at the time when John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. This happens after that. John has already baptized Jesus. And we're not told exactly when he didn't recognize him, but we understand that he didn't understand and recognize that the one that he was telling everybody about actually was Jesus related to him in some way. We don't know if it was was truly his cousin or not, but they must have known each other to some extent. And yet notice God's grace. And this is the grace for each one of you, particularly if you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ yet. This is for you. John, who is the forerunner, he's the one pointing everybody to Jesus. He doesn't get it. And what does God say? God in his grace says, okay, I'm gonna make this so easy for you. When you baptize, this is only going to happen one time to one person. And what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to descend like a dove. It's not going to be a dove, like a dove. It's really the Holy Spirit, but so that you can see it because the Holy Spirit is invisible. I'm going to make him like a dove. He's going to come and he's going to land on him. And he's going to remain there just in case you blink and you miss it. And to reveal to all of us how we need the Holy Spirit. And then when you see that, you will know that this one is different. All the others that you baptize, no doubt thousands. This one is altogether different. And when he comes, he is going to baptize not in water, but in the Holy Spirit. That's what John's whole point is. That Jesus Christ, when he comes, listen to this. He is not going to baptize in water just to cleanse us so that tomorrow we get dirty again. 
No, he is going to change everything about us. And when we're baptized, we're baptized in the Spirit, meaning that we are brought into a new relationship with God, that we are grafted in Christ, as Ephesians 1 talks about, with all the spiritual blessings from the heavenlies poured out upon us, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that we are made new, that we are adopted into the family of God. All of that happens through this this baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens at the moment that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And all of that, John is saying, man, I'm nothing, he's everything. His beginning's greater than me. Everything about him is greater than me because the whole reason I exist and that I have been given this job is to point to him. Would you please stop asking me this and go find this man? All of that is implied. All of that to get to what we see, the fourth and final lesson And what is that? That by God's wonderful grace that we would speak of his sacrificial death. Notice verse 29. There's a time sequence. It's a different day now. So these guys have come from Jerusalem. They've asked all these questions to John. He's like, no, 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 no. And then... Next day, what happens? He saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Recognize first how much different this is than what we saw earlier. Earlier, the reason why John kept pointing to Jesus was because they were asking him questions. This is spontaneous. This is instant. Remember, he had just baptized Jesus. Maybe, we don't know. Maybe this is the first time he's seen Jesus since he baptized him. But in whatever case, he recognizes this is my opportunity. Man, yesterday, I wanted to show those guys Jesus. Because I know now who he is. That he is the coming one. That he is the redeemer. He is the Christ. And now, look who comes but Jesus Christ. So what does he say? Behold. That, that in the Greek is a command saying, stop, look, see, right there. I want all eyes riveted on him, not on me. And then he uses this beautiful terminology, and he says, what? Behold, the Lamb of God. What does a lamb emphasize? Oh, a lamb emphasizes the gentle and innocent character of our precious Lord and his willingness to suffer to pay for the sins of men. I think if we spent time with lambs, beautiful, precious little lambs, we might get this a little bit better. If, if we were Jewish in our background, particularly if we were living during this time, that this would resound like, like, like the hugest alarm, the hugest sound you could think of riveting in our ears as to what he is meaning. Oh, like the sacrificial lambs that, that we offer all the time without spot or blemish. That, that then that their, their throats are cut and the blood is spilled. Why? To pay for our sins. Because if that didn't happen, then God would hold that sin over us. And yet, yet that happens every year. We do that many, many times. He came once to sacrifice himself once forever. 
And could it be too that as they listened to this that they no doubt thought about Abraham and Isaac and that oh so crazy, crazy story. Hey, take your son and go up there and sacrifice him. Oh yeah, and as you're going, your son's going to figure it out. Because he's going to look and he's going to see, hey dad, look, um, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but don't we need an animal? Where, where, where's, where's the animal, daddy? Where, where is that going to come from? Where particularly is the lamb? And do you remember Abraham's response? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. It takes him some time to provide it, but he does. In the most unimaginable way, as God becomes man and sacrifices himself on our behalf. Why? Because his love is so great and his desire to obey the Father is also so great. You see, the blood of the Lamb of God being poured out for sin, it can't be overemphasized. It's what was required. It's the price for sin. Why? Because life is in the blood. You take life, you take the blood out of someone and what happens? They die. And nobody else could pay such a price that would be able to usher so many in. His body is torn, it's beaten, and he bleeds so that his life will be drained from him as a what? As an offering for sin. Just think of the magnitude of that, that, that we worship the Lord early, earlier in remembering. The reality of our, of, of our Christian faith is that it is to an extent a, a faith that's filled with blood. But it's the most glorious, wonderful picture of love that we could ever think of. Blood that was spilled knowingly and committed to securing our salvation for all of eternity. And so that's what Jesus does. And as a result of, of such love on display, what should our response be? First, we must ask ourselves, do you believe that Jesus died as the sacrificial lamb for you? Does his sacrifice for you then, if you have believed in him, does the sacrifice for you on your behalf fill you with this perfect, what would I say, blending of sorrow and joy? Sorrow on the one hand over the price that he paid that was so, so significant, but joy on, on the other hand for what it secured, for an eternity with God. For that is what his redemption did. And we see that as John ends everything up, that that is what he now understands. As he himself says in 34, hey, I've seen, and now I testify that this Lamb of God is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the Son of God. And in that, John, the writer of this gospel, is pleading with anyone who has not yet come to saving knowledge and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will you turn, repent, and believe in him today? 
that you might enjoy heaven forever with all those who believe. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we see today. In verses 19 to 34 in John chapter 1, a a picture of making much of you, Lord. Our desire is that we would make much of you. Here at this church, in what we do, how we function, how your word is preached, how we live, how we look after one another, how we reach this community, how we support our missionaries, how we support one another, what we do with our finances, everything, Lord, we desire that it would be all to make much of you. Lord, help us as we leave here to make much of you in our neighborhoods, to make much of you in our families, to make much of you at work, to make much of you wherever you lead us, wherever you send us, wherever you have us. And to speak of you as the Lamb of God, the one who sacrificed himself on behalf of wicked sinners like us. And yet we are so thankful that you did. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.